Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel, and today is all about wine. So when I go to the grocery store to buy wine, I don't know about you, but I'm mainly looking at price. In fact, it always surprises me, or shocks me, when I get to a restaurant and the wines by the glass are more expensive than an entire bottle that I have at home in my fridge. That said, I'm at the level, and I think we're all at the level where you might need to bring a nice wine to a party or as a hostess gift, or you might run into unfamiliar grapes on a menu, and I just don't really have a good idea how to purchase or buy wine or order wine. I know the three categories of white that I know, Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, or Sauvignon Blanc, but I know that there's a lot more out there, and I can't even get started on red wine because to me... They all look and kind of taste the same. But luckily, my guest today, Amy Zavato, is a wine and spirits expert. She's the author of The Renaissance Guide to Wine and Food Pairing. She's a contributing editor to Imbibe Magazine. And she's the executive director at Long Island Merlot Alliance. So hi, Amy. Hey, Sam. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm a-okay. So I'm excited to talk wine today. Excellent. Me too. Always. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we should start with the basics. Okay. And for me, the basics are just what are the different types of, we'll start with white wines right now. What are the types of white wines that I'm going to run into? Because like I said, I know what I consider the big three, and I know that they taste a little different, but I'm sure that there are a couple more I could have in my vocabulary. Absolutely. I think... White wines are a funny category. I bump into a lot of people who say the craziest thing to me, which is, well, red wine is very good wine and white wine's not very good wine, right? And I think, really? <laughs> there are some of the most amazing wines in the world are white wines, like white Burgundy, which is Chardonnay. And that particular Chardonnay is one of the most sought-after white wines in the world. However, not very pocket-friendly for most adults, let alone if you're, you know, just starting out in your early 20s. As far as white wines go, certainly, you know, the shelves I'm sure you see are flooded with things like all kinds of Central Coast California Chardonnays or Pinot Grigio is one of the things that we see lots and lots of these days. But I think there's lots of white wines you can do better with and just learning a little bit about it from the very light-bodied, easy-drinking to things that have a little more body and girth that would taste good with anything from chicken to pork chops, which I don't think people really think about pairing their white wine with meats. There's lots of things that you can you can have, and they're reasonably priced. What about wines like like as an alternative to Chardonnay. I feel like Pinot Grigio and Chardonnay taste very different. So if you like Chardonnay, what are some other white wines you might like? I think the my favorite go-to for an alternative to Chardonnay, my husband actually hates Chardonnay, but he likes the body of it. And sometimes you want a white wine with something you're having. Viognier, which is V-I-O-G-N-I-E-R. And it's Really pretty wine, full-bodied, and just delicious. Great. Can you tell me at what point in your life or in your career that you really, really fell in love with wine and became extra passionate about wine? Sure. Well, my grandfather made wine. My grandparents on my father's side were Italian immigrants who came to this country in the Oh, dear. Early 1920s. And so he brought his winemaking traditions from Calabria with him, and he made wine with my father. And 
I think that was the very first wine I ever tasted dipped in a piece of bread. That was very common to give to children <laughs> um, in the Italian culture. And, uh, and it was always part of a meal. It was almost kind of considered food in itself in a way. So that got me started, I guess, in it being part of my culture and, and part of something that um, I really cared about. But my parents weren't wine collectors, and my parents didn't have some beautiful mm-hmm. wine cellar <laughs> where we could go down and pick out beautiful bottles of Bordeaux. You know, my parents just drank yeah. inexpensive wine. When I got older and I started writing about food for a living, I was offered an opportunity to write a book of a Renaissance Guide to Wine and Food Pairing about wine and food pairing. And I brought a friend of mine on board to help me because he was a wine expert. And I didn't really feel secure in my wine knowledge at all at that point. So I learned everything from my friend Tony DiDio. And it was, it just sparked such an exciting kind of passion in me for what all of the different grapes in the world and how they express themselves in different places and that when you have a glass of wine by itself it might taste one way and then when you have it with a meal it Mm -hmm. might totally change and wine is just so cool and also I think the second part of the passion for me is that I think there are a lot of people out there like you who feel insecure about talking about wine about what they like about ordering wine, buying wine, and, you know, in the end, it's just a drink. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're a smart person. You can, you can learn a few things and, and buy well and drink well. And, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. That's great. I love that. And, and I think you're so right that it's, it's so much more than something that you're just going to drink. It, there's, hip family history to it and it completely changes your eating experience and everything like that. And so I'm ready to learn more and to graduate to the next level of wine experience. (laughs) So let's talk red wines because I don't know how to tell the difference between any of them. And even hearing you mention a white burgundy, I was thinking in my head, Mm -hmm. like, I thought burgundy is red. I don't, I didn't even know that white wines could be a white burgundy. That would have really confused me. So Let's talk about a couple of the different red wines that everyone should know about, everyone should know to look for when they go shopping for wine. Well, one thing that you need to know probably that will help you navigate a wine shelf or a wine list in America and in most what we would call new world wine regions like Australia or New Zealand or Chile or Argentina, all of those countries all of those places name their wines by the grape variety. So you're going to have Malbec or Chardonnay. You're going to have the grape on the bottle, so you're going to know exactly pretty much what you're getting there. In Europe, for the most part, there are always exceptions to the rule, you're going to see the wine named by region. Learning a little bit about what the main grapes are in those places, which is really so much easier than it sounds, um, will help you navigate a wine list. Perfect. So I'm thinking someone like me who pretty much exclusively drinks white wine, and I have it in my head that I just don't like red. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend to someone like me who wants to try red wine and give it and get used to it? You know, I think 
my guess is probably some of the reds that you've had have been inexpensive Cabernets. You find them at parties a lot. Definitely been inexpensive. I don't know if they've been Cabernets, but I can guarantee (laughs) you they've been inexpensive. But that's a pretty big wine. You know, that's like starting out looking for an apartment and going up to, you know, Madison Avenue and saying, I want to find the most expensive, most, (laughs) you know, like unaffordable thing that I could possibly get my hands on. Maybe that's not a great example, but you know what I'm saying? You're sort of starting, Mm -hmm. starting too big for your palate because it's a lot of flavor. And like I said, there's a lot of tannin in Cabernet Sauvignon. So it's going to make your mouth feel dry. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a little harsh. And quite honestly, that's a wine that you really kind of want to have with food, not to just sip at a party. So what you want is a medium bodied or a light bodied red wine. Gamay is a beautiful grape to start with. Another one would be Rioja wines. Rioja is probably one of the biggest bargains you're going to find, and the grape from Rioja is Tempranillo. Just look for introductory, just entry-level Riojas. It will probably, it might say the word Hoven might be on it, or it might not say anything. If it says Reserva, then it's going to be a more expensive Rioja. But just an entry-level Rioja, Tempranillo is soft, it's easygoing, it's, there's nothing not to love. I think that would be a great wine for you. And since you've mentioned a couple of times, you've said full-bodied, you've said oaked. I think we should talk about some of these ingredient buzzwords that people are running into, especially when you're ordering wine at a restaurant and you might not notice or see any wines that you've that you recognize. So let's talk about oaked versus unoaked. What what does that mean? Okay. Well, for you, it means money, probably. Oak is expensive. Wine goes into a barrel for its fermenting process, which is when it turns from juice to alcohol, Mm -hmm. or notably Mm -hmm. to age. And barrels are very expensive items. If it's a new barrel, it's really expensive. So that's going to up the price of your wine. So not only is it going to up the price of your wine, but it's going to change the flavor of it too. In white wines, it's going to add sort of flavors of popcorn or butter or vanilla Some people really like those sort of influences on the wine, and sometimes it can be a really amazing influence on the wine. But sometimes, you know, maybe what you really want is just the fruit, and you just want to taste what the white wine tastes like, not the oaky influence. Mm -hmm. And what about, I've heard, and I don't think that this is a good thing, but if something is corked versus uncorked? Ah, a wine that is corked is a wine that has been infected by something called TCA. You don't need to know that. But basically, it's like a funky bacteria that attaches itself to corks. And then that cork goes in a bottle of wine and it infects the, the juice in the wine. And then it tastes or it smells, excuse me, like musty, nasty old papers that got caught in a flood in your parents' basement. It's not cool. If it smells like that, it is not something you want to drink. It's not bad for you. It won't hurt you. It will not harm you in the least, but it means the wine's gone off. And you should never, ever, ever be embarrassed about sending something like that back or bringing it back to your wine shop. Say, hey, listen, this wine's corked. Bring it to them. They'll smell it. They'll give you a replacement bottle. You don't want to waste your money. So I'm thinking of... I went to dinner with someone the other day and I was we ordered chicken. I think I had a chicken dish or something like that and we decided that we each were going to get a glass of wine. And I looked at the menu and th- 
I didn't recognize any of the wines. I mean, I'm not going to see Yellowtail or Two Buck Chuck or something like that. So how do you, <laughs> knowing what you're getting, in my case, I was getting chicken, maybe other people are getting red meat, maybe people are getting fish. How do you select a glass of wine or something like that from an unfamiliar menu? Well, first of all, I would never, ever, ever feel embarrassed about asking your sommelier, who is basically the person who is the wine expert in a restaurant, if they have such a person, or your server for their recommendations on the wine list. They know it better than anyone, presumably. And if you're thinking, well, I want to have this, I don't know any of these wines, absolutely ask that person. It's their job. They're probably excited to talk about it. And they're going to be the person to advise you the best. But if there is no such person around, I usually look to region, because that happens to me too. There's, there are, I mean, countless, countless, countless wine labels. It's impossible to know every single wine from every single region, It's really, or every single grape for that matter. There are so many. So moving in, back into the wine store, I'm thinking about walking in knowing that you're, you're picking up wine for a dinner party, let's say. Mm -hmm. I think we've started going to those and it, it it's no longer where we're just showing up with our friends and you can bring a box of wine with you. Like you really have to <laughs> find something that is maybe a little more special than what you would get for yourself. So what do you think are the best, which wines make the best hostess gifts or dinner party gifts? And do you have any recommendations on either brands or grapes or things like that that we could bring? You know, I think a medium-bodied red wine is always a pretty easy, well-received gift for your hostess. Look for Merlot. Look for Rioja. Rioja is just such great value and really an undersung, in a lot of ways, wine region where you can buy a really beautiful bottle of wine that should cost a lot more than it does, but doesn't. What about white wines? I think I generally default to bringing someone a Chardonnay, but maybe that's maybe that's wrong. Like, what's the best white wine to bring for a dinner party or even just someone's having a housewarming party or something like that? And You know, I am, I am such a big fan of Riesling. It's a, it's a really mm -hmm. beautiful wine. It comes in a huge range of styles. Unfortunately, Riesling has gotten this reputation of being uh, the sweet wine, and it can be a sweet wine, but it can also be mm -hmm. on the dry side. But it goes with lots and lots of different food. It's a great food wine. And if you turn the bottle around, there's a chart on the back that this organization called the International Riesling Organization, I believe, a chart they created where you can just look at it and it, it's a scale that shows you from very sweet to dry. And that's a great way to know, too. So I thought for the last, our little last thing today, I was having wine with my coworkers the other day and there was two bottles of wine you could choose from, and one was Chardonnay, and the other was a word that I couldn't pronounce. Okay. And so I kind of resorted to saying, okay, who wants Chardonnay, and who wants this other one that starts <laughs> with an S? Like, <laughs> so I think that a lot of times when you see wine on the menu and you don't know how to pronounce it, you then you don't get to order it, and it you just feel embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So you sent me a big list that I can't pronounce most of them, but I picked a couple that I okay. thought, I'm going to try to pronounce them. We'll see if you can tell what I'm saying, and then you <laughs> okay. can tell me what it is, okay? Okay, okay so the first one, 
Shannon Shannon Blanc. Shannon Blanc. Very, very good. I started with an easy one. The next one is Sans... I'm assuming this is Sanser. Sanser is from the furthest eastern part of the Loire Valley, and that is Sauvignon Blanc. And before we go, like like you know, I'm 22, and most of my experience drinking wine the past four years hasn't been really hasn't been to taste the wine or to appreciate wine. It's just been $2 wine or wine from a box or something like that, or wine from those huge gallon-sized jugs. So what can what do you have to convince me that now is the time to really start taking wine seriously and drinking and appreciating wine and not just opting for the cheapest, you know, jugs at the store? Hmm. Well... Okay, let's say you're in an elevator and you hear a song that you know really well, but it's been turned into elevator music. That elevator music doesn't make that song sound so good, right? Right. Right. So you're listening to this great song done in this sort of eh way, and it's not really enjoyable, and it's not really making your experience better standing in that elevator. But if you played that song the way you know it to be and the way it should be heard, you would love it and you would have such a great experience. Maybe think about wine like that, you know? You don't need the elevator music of wine. You need good wine or great wine even. And I think you can do that on on a budget. It's not a problem. That sounds great. I love that analogy. Thank you so much for your time today, Amy. You are a wealth of knowledge, and I loved talking <laughs> to really you. It was really fun, and I hope I was helpful. You were. Thank you so much for joining me today for Adulthood Made Easy. Do you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover next time? Tweet them to me at Sam Zabel, and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from The Real Simple Team. Don't forget to get a copy of the book that has all of the answers, The Real Simple Guide to Real Life, which is now available wherever books are sold. Thanks. I'm Sam Zabel, and I'll have more answers next time.